today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word uh, that uh, as the body of Christ, we have um, unhindered access to it in this place and we get to open your word this morning, allow you to speak to us, uh, the father of all things, the creator of the universe, the ruler of heaven and earth. You want to speak to our hearts individually, uh, a private, uh, uh, individually this morning. You want to speak to us a word um, that encourages us, that comforts us, that comforts us, strengthens us, uh, convicts us. And I pray that you would do that as we open ourselves to your Holy Spirit this morning, as we read from the scripture and then reflect. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Christine is going to read for us. Uh, thank you very much, Christine. I'll use this stand. Thanks, Luke. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. Jesus appoints the twelve. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boganerges, which means the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Christine. So I wanted to kick off with a question this morning, and that is, what do you think your response would be if back in the time Jesus walked the earth alongside Peter and James and John, Andrew, what do you think your response would be if Jesus called you to follow him, if he called you to be one of his disciples? Would you react like Simon and Andrew and drop your nets? Uh, or would it be a bit hard and you'd wrestle? Or I don't know whether I should go with him. What would, what would your response be? Just prior to this passage that um, Christine has read from us, there's a little bit of the context, a little bit of the initial interactions with Jesus and some of these disciples. I'm going to read a few more of them for you to give a bit of the, the context. Mark chapter 1, two chapters earlier, we have Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. Come follow me, he said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And they, this was their response, they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, and James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets, also fishermen. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat by dad and, he, and their hired men and, he, and they followed Jesus. A uh, little bit later, chapter 2 now, we have uh, Jesus out beside a lake again, large crowd there. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, this also known as Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him, dropped everything, followed him. Jesus actually had more than 12 disciples. This is just a few examples and the 12, the names that Christine read out. Uh, Jesus, at least 70 disciples he had, like other rabbis of his time, probably more. Some of them followed, would have followed him for longer periods and some for shorter periods, a little while as he moved on. But Jesus had many disciples and a core group 
of 12. And this was what he was about, calling people to follow him and to be his disciples. So I think it's an important question then to ask, well, what is a disciple today? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple in the 21st century? The, the, the question of discipleship and the idea of discipleship is has got to be at the heart of the church if this is what Jesus was about. But there's some connotations with discipleship, some, some things that come to mind when we say the word discipleship. I don't know about you, but for many years the connotations for me was uh, coffee with someone for an hour once a week in a discipling relationship. That's kind of discipleship. Or, a, or like a mentoring relationship. That's discipleship. Uh, or maybe programs and discipleship courses that are intended to help you grow in your faith. Maybe what comes to mind for you is community, Christian community in life groups and and Sunday mornings, and that's where discipleship happens. All of which are really good things, uh, but this idea that we are discipled, is it what Jesus was all about? Is it biblical? Uh, What is the difference between what we sometimes think about as discipling or discipleship and what we see in the Bible. Um, You may have uh, heard people say, who is discipling you? You may have even said, well, the problem for me when I was younger is that nobody discipled me. There's a slight issue with that. I remember saying this myself. You know, when I was younger, it just took me a long time to learn certain things because there was nobody who discipled me in this area. I just didn't have someone disciple me in in this particular area of faith. The problem with that is I put the onus then on someone else for my growth. But if I am a disciple, then the onus is on who? It's on me to take responsibility for my walking with Jesus, following Jesus. We might hear someone say, uh, who are you discipling? Well, then there's a lot of responsibility on you. And do we want to be followers of Jesus? Disciples of Jesus or disciples of people? Hopefully we want to be disciples of Jesus. In the New Testament, you might not know this, but only two of the hundreds of times the word disciple is used. It is used as a verb, discipling or discipled. 266 times it is a noun. The word disciple, someone who we are. Think about this. What, what are some terms that we use for a person who believes in Jesus? Christian? Believer. Right? Those are probably two of the common ones. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh yeah, when I was younger, a friend of mine Christianed me. When I, I, I remember, I, I, I believed Joe into the faith. We don't talk like that because the terms are nouns, aren't they? In the same way, the word disciple, more often than not, it is a noun. And so if I'm to be a disciple of Jesus, what does that actually mean? The other problem is we don't use the term very often in this context, do we? What do you do? Well, I'm a disciple of engineering at UWA. What do you do? Well, I'm, I'm a disciple at the local Coles and Woolies on the checkout. No, we just don't, we don't say that. So what does it mean? The Greek word, mathetes that we get translated as disciples, in our, a disciple in our, test, our New Testament. Uh, it can mean student. The problem with that is it sort of sounds like a classroom, like you're sitting in a chair and learning theory from a teacher. And that it's more than that. We have the term follower, follower of Jesus, but that 
can tend to sound a little bit like Twitter or Facebook. I follow so-and-so, and it's far more than that. Learner is a little bit closer because it's learning in a variety of ways. But there is actually a word in the English language. I'd never heard this until recently. And, and uh, I think it best describes the idea of being a disciple of Jesus. And to give you a bit of context, our leadership team of the church have done courses and training and coaching and, 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 and um, conferences and stuff on discipleship and discipling for for going on like seven or eight years now, and I can't remember hearing this term used to describe a disciple of Jesus, but I think it is almost perfect in our context. And that is the word apprentice. Apprentices of Jesus. Now, here's the Google definition of an apprentice. A person who is learning a trade from a skilled employer having agreed to work for a fixed period at low wages. I think that's great for a Christian. Let's think about this. A person who is learning a trade, that is the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, as Jesus modelled, from a skilled employer, Jesus is pretty good at what he did, having agreed to work for a fixed period, life on this earth is just a dot in light of eternity that we are living for, and a low, at low wages. Even though the reward is great now, the reward is far better in heaven. That's just my interpretation of an apprentice when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. The concept of apprentice, I think, captures what it means to be a disciple. Now, I've not been an apprentice before. I've been an intern, like when I did youth ministry studies and that kind of thing, but I've not apprenticed to be a a um, plumber or a builder or something like that, but I'm sure a few of you have. So I'm interested to hear from a few of you. What do you, did you experience, if you were an apprentice at some point, were the key elements of being an apprentice? Anyone? Who, first of all, who has been an apprentice before? Yep. What were some of the key elements of being an apprentice? What did you do? Relationship with the person teaching me. Yep, so close relationship. So, and that involved... Observing, yes, listening to what they said, doing what they asked. Yeah, realizing you weren't an expert, very good. Maybe a, a little summary, and I'm sure there's more to it than this, but it, it's about a trade. You're actually learning a particular set of activities. Uh, it's learning on the job, which means observing. It means trying and, and attempting and then getting correction when you don't quite have it right all of which kind of amounts to developing in this particular skill or trade through practice. So you're trying and you're getting corrected and you're observing until you grow better and better at the task. I'm, uh, I'm certainly no builder. I'm not apprenticed to be a builder or a carpenter. Um, but uh, while we were on holidays, uh, back in August when we sort of had more family holiday time before my time of prayer and reflection for my sabbatical, um, I decided it was time to build the cubby house. And uh, there's a picture of Micah. This is not the finished project, but Micah's up there dusting it off for me before we finish some of it. And um, I didn't sort of get to that point immediately. It took almost like a, an apprenticeship-type process to get to the point where I was able to do something like this, starting with uh, about five or so years ago when Dean and I built this stage 
But it wasn't really Dean and I building the stage, it was more in but Dean's backyard, him telling me what are the bolts we need, how are we going to do this so that it doesn't fall apart when someone steps on it, and me just helping out and observing and learning along the way, because Dean was much more skilled in this than I was. Then over the years, there was some more trying and learning and failing and learning from mistakes in little projects around the house, working with wood or, or brick or whatever it might be. And then when I came to the point where I wanted to do a bigger project like the cubby, I decided I needed to get on YouTube and watch some videos and get some ideas and also go to a friend who's a builder and built his cubby house like you could drive a truck into it and it wouldn't budge and said, what do do I do? Like, how did you do it? I observed what he had done and that helped me to have the skills but also some trial and error, a few too many offcuts of wood, a bit of a bow in the side. Um, which you can't see there, thankfully. Um, But eventually, I was able to do this kind of through an apprentice-like project. Why is this, then, so close to what it actually meant to be a disciple to Peter and to James and John and Andrew and Matthew? We have to go back to the idea of a rabbi. And in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is addressed as rabbi, 60 of the 90 or so times that he's addressed by others. Two-thirds of the time, Jesus is called rabbi. Now, this this can mean teacher, uh, but it's more than teacher in the way we think about it. Uh, A rabbi was someone who travelled around an area, or a great area really, with his yoke. That was like his teachings, his set of teachings and euphemisms and perspective on the scriptures and way of living out the Jewish faith. And it was a great honour to follow a rabbi. Let me explain why. Jewish kids would, would grow up and they would learn the scriptures, they would learn the Jewish ways. And uh, most of them would do that in their younger years and then they would go on to the family trade. Or if you were a girl, you would go on to... Um, to to look after the household in in that context. That's the way it was back then. A few of the boys would have shown enough promise to go to the next level in learning about the Scriptures, though. And they, I don't don't know the term for it, you can look this up, but they would go on to memorise the Torah. Now, that's the first five books of the Bible. Anybody read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? It's not particularly easy. Memorising would be another thing, word for word. They're quite young still. The best of the best, the boys who showed real promise, would go on to the next level. And they would memorise, you guessed it, the Hebrew Scriptures, the whole of the Old Testament. Anybody want to have a go at that in the next, you know, four decades? I mean, it was... Full on. And the best of the best of the best, a select few from that group who got to that point, who showed enough promise, would be invited then to follow a rabbi, to be a disciple. And then through the process of being a disciple, this is what it would be about. It meant that they would be with their rabbi, like an apprentice is with the person instructing them, constantly near them, observing, learning, seeing how is it done. There was a saying, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, because the dusty rose in the sandals they wore, the dust would flick up from the rabbi's feet onto them. 
They were with them all the time. Be with your rabbi. Then they were seeking to become like their rabbi, learning how they lived, what they did, what their character was like. And finally, if you were grilled at the end of the process, tested on how you understood the scriptures and the way of the life of a rabbi, the goal was to do what your rabbi did. They would get to the end of the process and the rabbi would say, you're ready, go and make disciples. Quite a process. But I think that this apprentice kind of rabbi-disciple relationship has the potential to just completely reshape what it means to follow Jesus in the 21st century. And you may have connected the dots already, but what do you think it means then today to be, a, to be an apprentice of Jesus? Three things. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. We're going to spend the next three weeks on those three things, but let me give a bit of an introduction this morning. We are first called to be with Jesus. Mark 3, 14 to 15, part of which uh, Christine read earlier, says he appointed 12 that they might, what? Be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Now, the, the authority to the drive out demons bit, that's like, that comes later. That's pretty challenging. But it starts with they were to be with him, be with their rabbi. And this is the first and primary role of a disciple. Apprentices don't just sit in the classroom and learn theory. They observe, they stay close to those they are learning from. The question for us might be, how do we we be with Jesus when Jesus theologically is seated at the right hand of the Father, having ascended from this earth? Well, thankfully, he has sent the Holy Spirit, who is called the Spirit of Jesus in the New Testament, to be with us so that we may be close to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so we are called to be in in his presence constantly. John 15 calls it abiding in the vine, like a branch connected. Some of you may have heard of Brother Lawrence, who talked about the practice of the presence of God, with God on our mind constantly. Even Jesus lived this out. It was almost as if the Father God was his rabbi, because another account of this story where Jesus calls the twelve Um, For example, Luke's gospel says this, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying. And then in that context, when morning came, he called his disciples to be with him and chose the twelve. So as he was being with his father, he calls them then to be with him. Dallas Willard says this, The first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. And so this is the first goal, is to be with him always. The goal of a disciple was then to become like his rabbi. And so as apprentices of Jesus, we're to become more and more like Jesus. As we are with him, it leads to this. But this is where I get stuck so often. I don't know about you, but have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount and felt, oh my goodness, This is supposed to be the standard for Christian living. And Jesus is saying, don't just not commit adultery, don't lust. Don't just not murder, don't hate. Forgive always. That alone is like a lifetime learning. And, And the fruit of the Spirit, 
These describe Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. I mean, these describe Jesus and really only Jesus, and yet we're supposed to become like this. But the good news is, when we become a disciple of Jesus, it's not that we're expected day one to be Jesus. The process of being with him and learning from him, and really, probably the best word is training, leads us to become more and more like him, to grow in his character. I wonder how many of you would feel confident about standing up right now and running a marathon. Anyone? That's because you don't just decide to run a marathon one day. If I was to run a marathon right now, I would collapse less than halfway through and it would be over. But you don't just decide to start a marathon. You train. You do a little bit more each day, a little bit more, a little bit more until you've built the stamina that is needed to run a whole marathon. The standard is high, but we are called just to train, not try really hard. The spiritual disciplines, we'll talk a little bit more about next week. They're like the tools of the apprentice. They're a means to an end. But discipline, uh, Dallas Willard said, is like something we enable ourselves to do. Some, uh, discipline is something we do to enable ourselves to do something we cannot do by direct effort, like training for a marathon. Small, achievable ways. Training, not just trying really hard. And then finally, the goal is to do what Jesus did. And there's a reason this comes last, not first, because as we be with Jesus, the character of Jesus, his likeness starts to develop in us. And then naturally, over a lifetime, the things he did more and more will be what we do also. Here's a list of 10 general areas of what Jesus did on earth uh, that somebody else created. Preaching the gospel, teaching the way or the Bible, healing the sick, casting out demons, prayer, prophecy, doing justice, eating and drinking with people far from God, fighting religious hypocrisy and speaking truth to power. How many of you are overwhelmed by that list? Right? I'm I'm overwhelmed. Oh my goodness. But we're not called to be there from day one or even day 100 or even day 1000, but gradually to do more and more of what Jesus did as we be with him and then become like him and eventually do the same. It's a process. Now you might say, okay, Luke, that's, that's, that's good, but haven't you just kind of described the Christian life, what it means to be a Christian? The problem with that word is that we've created a world where you can be a Christian, according to the common definition of it, and not actually be, what I just talked about, an apprentice of Jesus. In the USA, studies say, and I know USA is a bit different to Australia, but studies say that 76% of Americans claim to be Christian. In Australia, it would be less, but there's still probably a higher percentage. Another group assessed how many Christians in America are actually, according to some of the basic elements of Christian faith, are disciples of Jesus. And they estimated 8%. 76-8, something's a bit wrong. According to the common definition of a Christian, Donald Trump is a Christian. There's not a political statement. There's many of his contemporaries and many in America, many in Australia who say, I'm a Christian. But what does that actually mean? Especially when the word Christian is used... Have a guess how many times in the New Testament? 
Three. In contrast, the word mathetes, disciple or apprentice, 268 times. And the concept that we can be a Christian and not a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, is so alien to the New Testament writers. It just doesn't even compute in their mind. And so we need to think about what are we talking about when we are we're talking about being disciples of Jesus. It's not just what we understand in the common, uh, commonly to be a Christian. So I want to go back to my original question. Have you ever imagined if Jesus said, I want you to follow me, to be my disciple, what would your response be? Do you feel like it would be what? Simon and Andrew and James and John, what their response was, you drop your nets, so to speak, drop everything and follow him. Would it be a little bit harder? It might sound challenging if you were there and Jesus said, follow me, drop everything, follow me. But actually for guys like fishermen and tax collectors despised by their people, it wouldn't have been that hard. You think about what it meant to be a disciple of a rabbi and the process involved. I mean, it's a Big job to get to the point where you've memorized the Old Testament. These guys were offered it like that. That's like going from a poor paying job to getting your honorary PhD in an instant. A huge acceleration of the process. And so this was a no-brainer for them. Yes, I want to follow you. I'll drop everything. But it wasn't so easy for others, especially if what they're leaving behind was a really good life. I want to show you a clip. How many of you have seen The Chosen TV show? A few. I highly recommend that you download the app, The Chosen app, and watch this show. It's a, uh, an interpretation of what might have gone on in between what's in Scripture in the lives of those who interacted with Jesus. And it does a very good job of being um, true to Scripture, but also going, what's a viable uh, story of the in-between parts that we don't have in the Bible? This is a clip from Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a rabbi, a teacher of teachers in the Jews, um, and his interaction with Jesus as he begins to see who Jesus really is. Have a watch. I met Lilith, Mary, that day. I told my wife and my students, I said, she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. position in the Sanhedrin, you have family, you are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand, but the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life, to, to give up who I am. It's true, there is a lot you would give up. 
But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> Maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave, and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter. I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> holy roof. <laughs> I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. So this man, Nicodemus, recognizes who Jesus is. And, and he's invited to follow him, to be a disciple, an apprentice. The next clip is the response of Nicodemus, ultimately. And this is not in Scripture. This is, this is an interpretation of what might have happened. And, and I think it's quite accurate because if you read the Gospels and where Nicodemus ended up. He wasn't one of the core followers of Jesus, one of the disciples. He, he believed Jesus was who he said he was and helped, but he, he didn't fully leave who he was behind to follow Jesus. And uh, as we watch this clip, I just want you to, to recognise what's happening. So what we have here is uh, Jesus at the well. The disciples starting to gather. That's little James and uh, one of the others. See Mary come along in a minute. That's Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. And uh, then we see Simon, Andrew, James and John rocking up, ready to move on from Capernaum. There should be everyone. Everyone's here? Yes. This is all of us. Is there anyone else? Look at this. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Gold. A friend of mine left that for us. It's enough for two weeks of food and lodging. <laughs> you came so close. What do you mean? We need to go for it to make it to a camp in Tiberius by nightfall. Simon is correct. Let's go.
gonna wear that on a trip. These are my clothes. Should I have others? I saw that scene the first for the first time, and probably the third and fourth, etc. After that, I was I was so gripped because this is I find this is me so often. I know that everything within me says, "Don't pass up this opportunity, Luke, to follow Jesus." But because of everything I have. I'm torn inside. You saw Nicodemus at the end. He was torn in anguish because he couldn't leave it all behind. I find that so me, so that this is me so often. Easy for a fisherman or a tax collector who's despised by his people. Not so easy for someone with status and privilege and wealth and knowledge and a good life. My prayer this morning is that it wouldn't be a hard choice, though. That to accept the invitation, not to become a Christian, that's most of us, or if not all of us here, but to be day by day his disciple, his apprentices. Because what we gain is far greater than what we leave behind, no matter what we leave behind. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's hard. But whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Yet whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. If I can get the music team up. Friends, as we leave this morning, may we accept the invitation offered to us by Jesus to be his disciples, to be his apprentices, knowing that what we gain is far greater than what we may have to leave behind. And so, Father, I want to pray that you would show us that even if we are like Nicodemus or some of those who struggled to just drop and go with you, Jesus, that you would show us that what we have is nothing in comparison to what we gain when we lay our lives down completely for you.